Good day, my dear. Good day. Good sunny day. Good day for fashion. Because it's fashion week. Fashion. Did I get, did you see what I did there? I did. I did. Well done. Mm. Nice mm. connect. So, and you're looking very fashion, I must say. Uh, thank you. I was going to say that to you. So I'm very high street fashion today. Oh, and you okay. are very, um, it's just about ethnic. Okay, I was going to say, choose your words wisely. <laughs> wisely. You did. I, 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 that's a compliment. You know, it's a compliment if it's between us two. Take it as a compliment. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, it's a compliment. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, do I love a bit of ethnic. Any, I was going to say, do you have any favourite ethnic designers? Oh, my gosh. Now you put me on the spot. So, no, I, do you know what? I wouldn't say, I, I couldn't bring them to mind because they're so, like, independent. They're really indie. Mm. Um, but I, I would have them saved to my Instagram and use them for inspiration. And that's what I tend to do. Right. So rather than buying the designers, I just use what they've put right. together and try to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I like that. So put in your own flavour, flavouring. Yeah, 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 exactly. A little bit of sea salt. Um, mm. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, because I, I, I've, as you know, boycotted some high street um, yes. sellers, but we're not going to go into yes. that here. But um, so I, I'm sure. yeah, all of that, all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But you are a slave to fashion. So tell me, ah. tell <laughs> <laughs> well, what is your what's your go tos? What's some of your go tos? Do you know what? Um, I do love a bit of fashion, but unfortunately, mm. um, the designers that I seem to like are uh-huh. costly. So, <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah. I got. I do have a lot of fast fashion, um, but I think for me, I keep it. I keep my fast fashion pieces for quite a long time, and then I might um, customize. I might do things Mm. um yeah so Mm. fast fashion unfortunately isn't great it's very affordable yeah but you know I do what I can but I have started investing in pieces that's Mm -hmm. my that's my thing Mm. when I turn for it it's like right pieces and thinking Mm. of signature wardrobe and Mm. all that so you have your basics and then you can mix and match and you know Fancy dresses, which are a bit more high end, keep mm-hmm. those because they'll stay good forever. Exactly. That's kind of my flex. Exactly. If I could, I would have like a whole walk in wardrobe. Like, you know how Americans do it, Sex in the City, where it's just oh. all the way around and you can see all the shoes and the back. This is the dream. This is the dream. This is what used to really upset me about MTV Cribs whenever they used to go <laughs> in and show you their wardrobes. I was like, ugh. When, when, but yeah, one day. <gasps> one day, one mm. day. But um, in a way, you have a fashion label, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fashion, politics, and fashion and culture in one. Yeah, so I I find it a bit difficult to call it a fashion label. I don't I don't I don't see it as a fashion label. It's and I don't know well, if this clothing, is then. well. Clothing it's clothing. It's a brand. So we put the brand on different items. So some of it is clothing. Some of it's posters. Some of it's um, mm-hmm. whatever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I feel a bit of a fraud calling it a fashion label because I'm not a designer, and I think there are people who are okay. specialised specialist in designing who have every right to call themselves owners of a fashion label yeah. do you know what I mean I guess it would be different if you were designing the shape and the cut of the t-shirts and stuff like that that's mm. what makes it fashion yeah yeah design, yeah right yeah okay yeah. so you've got a clothing brand clothing yeah brand yeah there we go we'll, we'll, Which we'll keep it underneath the underneath the fashion umbrella <laughs> we're using that yes. umbrella analogy again yes yes yeah. I'll take no, that <laughs> I'll take that Women Who Rebrand, the podcast. Honest and humorous conversations about the transitional phases people experience to grow, start over, or rebrand to become their most authentic selves. Hosted by Sreet Fontaine and Chioma Olale, and features special guests who are professional rebranders. 
The podcast covers starting over at different stages of life, championing personal growth, aka a personal rebrand. So as I said, this week is Fashion Week and today we have Francesca Marotta. Marotta. I said Mariotta the other day and I was like, <laughs> that's not how you say her name. I think my ADHD jumped out again. It's just getting so excited that I added a few more letters in. But Why she not? is an award-winning designer, creative director, fashion stylist, and mag- uh, magazine editor-in-chief. She has her own magazine too. Mm. So yeah, she is definitely fashion. Fashion. She's going to be talking to us um, yeah, talking to us today about Fashion Week and all things fashion, careers, and all of that malarkey. I'm excited. Love it. Love um, it. Me too. Should we let Get her, her in? in? Get her in. Hey. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for joining us. Do you know what? I was wearing my glasses today. I picked them up because I was like, I bet you they're both going to turn up with amazing glasses. So I'm oh, gosh. Yes. I didn't even well, clock. Look at us, oh, the Black Frames crew. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. How Love are it. you? How are you? I'm good, and you? We're good, Very thank good. you. We're good, thank you. I just briefly um, gave you a tiny introduction to our audience. Um, again, probably filled with lots of um, ums. So, <laughs> would you be able to explain who you are to our lovely audience? Um, well, uh what can I say? You know, I'm just somebody who just goes with the flow and experiences life with all its trials and tribulations. And from an early age, I wanted to get into design and I've managed to reach that. But also when I was a teenager, I was inspired by people who showed me, you know, like the big French designers who showed me that you have to have an empire to be successful. So I had a plan to have a modeling agency, shoes, perfume, accessories, magazines, and I've literally done everything. (laughs) Wow. So in a literal sense, go big or go home? Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You went big. I never, I never saw it like that. For me, it was just a process. You know, when you are yeah. multi-talented, you just have to mould yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing as a human, you have different aspirations. You just, you know, have different needs of even creativity. So that's why I have actually my hands in loads of pines. And I think it's also down to my hyperactivity and ADHD. I can't. I have to do loads of things unless I'm, I'm just like, I feel in a rut. Yeah, yeah. You're not the first creative that's been on the podcast that said they do many things just to keep their brain alive. Because again, it feels like a calling almost, like you have to do all of those things to make it sort of like one whole career, I guess, one whole thing. Um. Yeah, I think it's just being an artist. You know, you want to express yourself in different ways. You know, when some people tell me, oh, do you feel you failed your, because I started with my brand and people are telling me, oh, do you think you failed your brand? I don't think I failed my brand because what I've achieved, I achieved it all alone. I achieved amazingly well, but, you know, you just have moments where you just want to create something else. You have to be creative. I think that's the life of an artist. You have to keep creating whatever it is. It can be food. you know, let I don't know if people. It's there was this designer um, when I arrived in London, and she was selling her own toilet paper, and that at seventeen kind mm-hmm. of made me realize, look, she this is what she's creating her own toilet paper. This is how creative you have to keep. You know, you have to be, um, just like you know, um, Play-Doh. You know, you have to become. Mm-hmm. You have to mould yourself in what life throws at you and be quick thinking. And like, for example, you see um, COVID. (laughs) 
good old pandemic. Um, we were all forced to do it then, yeah. Right. And, you know, in the fashion industry, we weren't allowed to shoot, we weren't allowed to do anything. And that's when I realized, you know what, this is time for me to do my magazine. And that's when I launched it. That's when I decided in the middle of the you know, mm. pandemic, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe not the smartest move to start a business in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you learn, you learn. Everything is a learning opportunity. And like yes. Sarita said, um, the same as the the whole um as as a creative, you kind of need you, you've got this urge, this need to do lots of different things. With the pandemic, we've heard that lots of people had to pivot and we had we've had people come on to the podcast. I remember Mensa, the hip hop artist, came on and he said because he was in the performing arts, it completely changed the way that he could he could deliver his his art. So he had to find a different way to do it. And and I think that was such a great opportunity for so many of us to tap into things that we maybe were worried to do before, just didn't have the opportunity to do before, but it forced us to do it. So you with your magazine, maybe if the pandemic hadn't have happened, you wouldn't have launched it. You wouldn't have had all the learnings that you've had from that. So it's a positive, in in my opinion, anyway. I would have taken longer to launch it because it wasn't already in the pipeline, you know, yeah. where because I had been, um, I never studied journalism. You know, this is why I said to people, you know, you don't have to have a diploma to make you who you are. As an artist, you have to learn, mm. you know, from falling on the ground, flat on your face, you brush yourself off, mm -hmm. just like in life, you know, just like, you know, as humans, we go through relationships, you know, heartaches, you know, struggles, and it's the same in business. You you hit the wall straight in the face, you've got to get up and move forward. So with, um, with the magazine, it was basically something that um, about 15 years ago, somebody contacted me out of the blue and said to me, I would like you to interview artists for my magazine. I have never studied journalism. I'm highly dyslexic. But my, you know, what I had was the experience as a fashion designer to have been interviewed a hundred times by journalists. So I kind of knew what I didn't want to do as a journalist. <laughs> Because as an mm. artist, you know, when you are when you keep being interviewed and everything is generic, I realize I don't want that. You know, I want to do something a bit more interesting where people feel slightly more valuated and valuable where you kind of ask them questions that takes them out of their comfort zone but makes them also think about who they are and kind of gives them like oh my god I didn't you know just that question makes me realize that I've done all of this and uh, so that's how I started to interview people and just before um Lockdown number 3,400, <laughs> I had been commissioned by <laughs> I had been commissioned by a magazine to interview people, and um, literally they kind of didn't respond to what I offered them the way that you know I was hoping for, and that's when I realized, you know what, this is time for me to do my magazine. Um, you know, everybody has their voices. I'm glad you have yours, but my magazine, uh, you know, I want something to, um, you know, what I hate for the moment in all industries is that there is a lot of fakeness on how they, you know, they will only interview certain people because the hashtag works well. Mm. Do I make, you know, it, it really happened with, And I'm sorry to say this, and I find it very, very, you know, sad. With the BLM movement, they, um, I feel that a lot of brands are only interviewing certain people only because it benefits them. That if it wasn't mm -hmm. for that movement, they would still never look at those artists, at those women, at those men, at those kids who have you know, a great voice, to have massive talent, you know, and that, I never wanted that for my magazine because I know how I am in my life and I know how, you know, it's, 
You know, so I hope that my magazine, it's exactly what people need to see, that there is diversity, but it's genuine, that the people that, you know, that I collaborate with, that I interview, is because it's people that I truly feel passionate about and not because the hashtag benefits me. Yeah, virtue signaling. Yes. When you just get diversity for the sake of diversity, like you said, they're trending at the moment. And then, yeah, they just disappear because it was all part of the trend and all part of the marketing, which is obviously quite disingenuous. But I think people are waking up to that. I think more people see through that now, especially um, as it's Pride Month too. It's kind of like, um, I think brands have kind of dialed it down a notch, whereas before it was like rainbows everywhere and you know pride 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 and then all of a sudden it's just like well you voted against such and such you don't treat your customers your lgbtq customers very well so what's up with that so yeah i definitely am seeing a lot more people warming up to the the genuine people oh you know life is we all diverse and we all have to realize that you know, in England, it's a multicultural society and it should have been like that from the beginning. And, you know, if it's taken so long for, you know, certain people to have a voice, it's very, very sad, you know, that it's taken 2020 for... Um, because, you see, when people tell me, I don't understand white privilege. Please, I do. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to tell you why. Before arriving in London, where I grew up, I was the dirty little Sicilian. You know, we I was discriminated against because of where I come from um, and because of my Arab descent. And I'm a proud Indigenous woman, but what life gave me, it's a white skin. And when I arrived in England... Because people back in 91, they were asking me, oh, you Italian? And I was, well, yeah, my passport is Italian. So I became Caucasian overnight, <laughs> mm. which brought white privilege. I've never had to worry at job interviews. I've never had to worry about anything because of the way that I look and what it brought me as um, as perks, I've never had to worry about a lot of things. And so, you know, this is something that, you know, in England, I feel that it's taken way too long for them to yeah. say, do you know what, we are inspired by all these cultures. Uh, when I arrived in England, the country's dish was curry. That's what they told me. And I thought, well, <laughs> how can it be curry? If you know, <laughs> I don't think, no, but you know, and but you, you're not really putting forward, you know, Southern Asian talent much. They have, you, you know, everybody, every, you know, every culture has had to create their own platform, their own business, you know, um, platforms, movies, TVs, radios, because of the way that our society has been constructed was to put everybody else on a lower scale but when it comes to art there you know certain society are fast enough to inspire themselves from other cultures but they don't want to put the people up they don't want to elevate them and that's what really kind of you know with living white privilege what it showed me it showed me people being really comfortable in front of me and voicing their views on other cultures because they saw my white skin, they didn't see the DNA. And that I've been, because I'm also a civil rights activist since the age of nine, and that really makes, you know, got me angry in many, many arguments and having to explain people, you know, you don't, you know, what you are doing is really, really, really wrong. So it's kind of sad that it's taken 2020 for something really bad to happen. Mm. And for people, I don't know, you know, it's, it's just the society we live in, but it's mm. really, really sad. And people, when they say to me, you know, oh, I don't understand white privilege. Well, just you saying that shows how much white privilege you've been going through for you not to really appreciate your life and how 
it's not even lucky how privileged you are to have that background. As you said, it was very different um, when you started in fashion. How have you seen things change? Because for me, I from the outside looking in, um, social media and fashion from the outside is very different to how the industry is in inside. And I think a lot of trends yeah. have changed. So you've seen models, bodies changed over the years. Again, different types of um, cultures and different ethnicities of models changing. Are things changing or do you think it's kind of for trends? Comparing it to when you started out to what it's like now. Okay, my first boss in the fashion industry was Jamaican. So to me, I've never looked at, you know, oh, my boss is Jamaican. To me, it was like, oh, my God, I'm learning so much from him. I'm so blessed. And he's actually a legend in the fashion industry. And he's actually not Jamaican. He's Nigerian. Sorry. Ah. It's Frank Akisente. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And I learned so much from him. So for me, I've always been, you know, I've always worked with models from all over. I've never had issues. And even though it's changing, but I have the feeling, you know, that many brands are using the trend. But... Mm. People are not trends. People are humans. That's how a society is. And um, it's beautiful, though, to see that, um, you know, brands are using, you know, older models, younger models from all different cultures, uh, different body shapes. It's, it's refreshing to finally see that because it translates what society is about. Mm-hmm. But it still has a lot to learn because you can't just appreciate a culture but deep down, don't love the people. You know, they, yeah. I find that there is a big gap between appreciating a culture where they can appreciate the music, they can appreciate the food, but they won't specifically have friends, you know, from that culture, understanding them, you know, see what they're celebrating. Um, I've always had friends from all over the world. So it's... I find it very hard to understand when people tell me, oh, you know, uh, I don't have friends from Africa, I don't have friends from Jamaica, I don't have friends from Asia. To me, it's impossible not to mm-hmm. because it's the way we are. But I don't know if it's because, um, you know, I categorize myself as an indigenous woman because that's why, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I speak my mother tongue, I was raised indigenous, um, I, can, I can hunt, I can... Um, I can slaughter a sheep if I have to eat. <laughs> wow. you know, I can do all of these things. So to me, it was normal to, you know, it, it's it's part of my culture to have friends who I can relate to because we have similar, you know, the way that we raise our kids, the way that we respect our parents, um, the way that we have our customs, you know, the more um, colourful we are, the more we kind of understand that we are all very, very similar. So, for, you know, it's life is beautiful and people are beautiful and everyone should really understand that nobody is a trend and everybody is a somebody in life. Join the Women Who Rebrand community on Instagram. We'll share episode reminders, behind-the-scenes footage, conversations about episode topics from other creatives, and more. Join the conversation at Women Rebranded. Everybody has talent. Everybody started as an amateur at some point or another. You know, we were all amateurs before becoming professionals. So, you, you know... If I have somebody that comes to me and their, you know, and their portfolio is not what I'm looking for, I tell them, you know, come back to me in a, in a year, you know, do your work, grow as an artist, and then you'll be ready, you know, because everybody has a talent. Everybody has mm-hmm. a talent that they can excel in. It's just having to practice it. You know, the more you practice, the better you're going to get, you know, in your skill, and I'm sure you feel the same even just with your podcast. If you look back at, you know, episode number one and now, I'm sure, you you know, you feel that there's been a huge progress and that you are, you know, building your audience, 
um, everything. Most definitely, yeah. Because you last from you learn from those past experiences, and I think for life in general, and even your career, everything you've done so far gets to where you are at this moment in time. And if you can share those moments with rich cultures and different types of people, you're even more blessed because you'll just have even more up there, even more. I remember the first day we met, you and me, we worked yep. on a shoot together. <laughs> yes, many moons ago. And I actually said to my sister, I was like, I think that was my first, in brackets, professional shoot. I did makeup. So that was my first ever job back in, I must have been tiny, tiny, tiny. I don't say in height, I mean in mind. <laughs> I hadn't had many experiences then. <laughs> I, 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 re I remember how we met. It was Waterloo Station. We met on the, on the platform. And the whole train journey, she just made me laugh so much. I thought, oh, my God, this girl is just something else. <laughs> and that was back in the days when we had to find the shoots of our A to Z. No smartphones. What? It was that long ago? Gosh. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Yes. Glad I was in your um, career journey. I'm one of the memories. How, tell us how you actually got into fashion, to like how you started to where you are now. When I was four, my mum tells me all the time, I was watching... Fred Astaire, one of Fred Astaire's movie on TV, and I saw the gowns and I thought, oh, I want to do this. I want to, I don't know, I just felt like I needed to do this. And at the age of nine, I started to sew. So whenever my mom would go to, you know, to the grocery store, I knew I had about an hour time. I would go on her sewing machine, break it every time, and try to teach myself how to sew. <laughs> <laughs> then when I was four, when I was 14 she had enough of it they lied by my age said I was 16 so I could enroll a class a pattern cutting and sewing class and I was wow. literally the youngest with all grandmas and mothers and they kind of <laughs> took me under their wing because they thought I was funny to want to be doing sewing like this at that age and that's when I really started mm -hmm. to express myself and then at 17, I did my first show. At 18, I won my first award. And then it was just, you know, um, hard work, literally, hard work. A lot of doors slammed to my face uh, because I was a foreigner, because you are a woman, and anybody can say whatever they want when you are a woman. Life is slightly more um, challenging. <laughs> Let's put it this way, where it's like you have to work slightly harder. So when you add everything else on top of being a woman, then you have even more struggle, you know, of what you have to achieve in order to get to where you want to get. But at the same time, you know, I thought that um, I was really blessed because at 18 I became self-employed. I was really blessed. So I was, you know, Doing evening courses, loads of courses. I'm somebody who still now I will enroll in universities, do an online course, just because I feel it's it's I need to learn whatever it is I need to learn. You said that people wouldn't take you seriously because you were you weren't from there, you were a foreigner. So does that mean that you left Sicily and started working internationally at that young age? Well, um, from Sicily, we emigrated when I was five to Belgium. And uh, in Belgium, that's, that's when I experienced discrimination because in Sicily, I was in my island. And, you know, I was just, you know, I was just Sicilian in my island. Uh, for me, that's, that's the best time of my life because you don't realize the harshness of what society can do. So when we moved to Belgium when I was five, and because my parents, especially my mom, my mom does look Arab and especially Moroccan. So I experienced, you know, discrimination by looking at people insulting her first and after insulting, you know, the kids. And so I came to England when I was 17. This is what I said, you know, that's when I understood okay. the meaning and privilege of you know, white privilege and how I enjoyed it. Mm. I have to admit, I've totally enjoyed, you know, with everybody thinking that having an Italian passport gave me that white privilege. 
I really enjoyed it, and I still do. I'm not going to complain. And <laughs> you know, even though when people understand my DNA, you know, I get the jokes and everything else, which is normal. I'm, you know, you get used to it. Uh, but then in England, you know, what it was is, you know, back in 91, when you were, you know, a young immigrant woman, it wasn't as easy as it is now because you were not an expat. You had to really work your way up from the ground. You really had to, mm. one, learn. I didn't speak English when I arrived in London, so I had to learn the language, learn the different ways because it's a different life, it's a different culture. So it was a bit of a culture shock. But at the same time, I was blessed by, you know, having people took me under their wings and, you know, look out for me, you know, make sure that um, nothing bad happened to me, you know, being in London by myself at such a young age. So it kind of toughened me up, you know, to, 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 to be an immigrant at 17. And, you know, this is how, you know, England was back then is that, you know, as an immigrant, you didn't have the same opportunities as in 2022. In 1991, it was way, way different. Uh, but, I, you know, I thoroughly, I'm going to be honest, I really enjoyed my life and I still do because I've, I've always done what I wanted. I never took no for an answer. Um, if one door slammed in my face, a second door slammed in my face, I can happily say that I came back and built the MFing building up, you know, from the foundations <laughs> to the roof. <laughs> I've used the door that they slammed on my face to build my own building. And I think as an artist, wow. you know, as an artist, as being self-employed, you have to be able to do everything so no one can take, you know, can throw any BS to you, can tell you, no, it's not possible. Um, and, you know, I, I love that your, um, you know, uh, podcast is called Women Who Rebrand. Uh, I love that because um, I've never felt like I was rebranding myself every business venture that I've done because for me it was evolution. But at the same time, it's I've built my brand. So, yes, I'm rebranding because it's my brand. My name is a brand. And by, you know, evolving, maturing, become wiser maybe, it's, you know, you build your brand. It's I've never seen anything as a failure. It's a learning experience. You learn from your mistakes. You, you know, it just makes you better and stronger. Yeah, that's definitely, we're definitely about championing um, rebranding in the sense of growth, as we said before, all your experiences just lead to where you are now. And it can be your career, it can be your um, life, it can be anything. So we're definitely championing growth and um, personal rebranding, personal rebranding. But I think, you know, the three of us are moms. So I think, you know, being moms also, yes. you know, it brings extra challenges because you... I'm, I'm sure you've heard it, girls, you know, when you go to for, for meetings and then they tell you, oh, but how are you going to deal with your kids, you know, um, yeah. their care? Who's yeah. going to look after them when you're going to be on a job? There's definitely freedom that comes with that self-employment. I, I Because I was self-employed for a period of time. I was employed, then I was self-employed, and now I'm back employed again. And I loved, loved, loved being able to dictate what time I worked, what days I worked, being able to take summer off with the kids, all of that was incredible. And now that I'm back in employment, I enjoy my job to a certain extent, but I do definitely see all of those restrictions and how now my life is moving closer towards what my employer wants it to be and further away from what I want it to be. So it's all swings and roundabouts. Obviously, there's benefits both ways. You've got to do what works for you, but there are significant benefits if you're building a family to being self-employed. With fashion, do you think in terms of um, women being in charge, things have changed for all these years? Um, 
The fashion industry is a manly industry. It's run by men. Most of the investors are male. Most of the, I mean, LVMH. If you look at who is who are the faces of LVMH, it's mainly men. Um, you know, Caucasian male tend to be in the hierarchy of the fashion industry. Uh, women, mm -hmm. the ones who are really high up, some of them are kind of hidden their kids away from the industry and you only realize like right. years mm -hmm. later that, oh my God, she was a mother. But they've had to, because I think they had the high paid job, they were able to have, you know, um, a whole um, nucleus around them to help them be able to stay on top. Because it's hard to stay on top when you're literally a single parent running everything. It's possible, but it's a lot of hard work. You, you mentioning that the fashion industry is still very male-dominated um, just brings to mind a conversation I was having. And it's not just about the, um, the people in, in power in terms of the funders, the investors. It's also about the designers and how that male... Um, dominance I guess permeates through to everything about fashion so thinking about high heels for example okay so high heels are great they make us look great in what we're wearing like really help us with our posture our legs look amazing fantastic but they're killers like I don't know a single woman alive who enjoys wearing stiletto like six inch stiletto heels I saw a woman walking down the street the other day she was literally crippled she was grabbing onto her partner <laughs> just like her knees were buckling but her shoes looked incredible and her dress looked amazing so like that clearly a man designed those shoes second thing jumpsuits <laughs> jumpsuits were not created by a woman I tell you I don't know this for a fact but I probably am right in that they were designed by a, a woman because who in God's green earth would give a woman a jumpsuit to wear and then she'd be in a situation where she needs to go to the toilet and basically needs to strip naked in order to effectively go to the toilet like what is that totally well, created by men sorry I'm done <laughs> Um, no, no, no. The jump, the jumpsuit. Uh, I've I've designed many jumpsuits, and to me, jumpsuits come from, you know, the the mechanic. You know, the mechanics mm -hmm. in their cars. They wear mm -hmm. jumpsuits. Yeah, yeah. That's to me yeah. what inspired my jumpsuits. It's the mechanic, and okay. they're super comfortable. But uh, try to be in a jumpsuit <laughs> from Vegas to LA. On a greyhound coach, the door doesn't oh. the door do <laughs> the mm -mm. door doesn't close, <laughs> and you've got to juggle closing the door with one leg, <laughs> holding the jumpsuit. Oh, no, no jumpsuits are uh, no. They were not designed for bathrooms. <laughs> no. The way I see it, though, I've always seen um, fashion as an escape, as in a fantasy. And it's like that whole saying about, um, was it pain? No, fashion no, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. No pain, no gain. <laughs> yeah, no pain, no gain. And fashion is art and it can't come easy. So if you've got a crazy elaborate dress, which is something I would wear, obviously, being me, um, it's not about walking. It's not about practicality. It's about the look, <laughs> the art, and how it makes you feel inside. Well, you <laughs> That's know, the way I see it. Half of my designs, I've never been practical. <laughs> so, I am but they very, look amazing. Exactly. You know, because they look great on the red carpets, on the runway, on shoots. But can you, you know, I do wear my brand. But I know which pieces I can wear and still feel comfortable. But fashion is not meant to be comfortable. It's not meant to be practical. It's clothing is meant to be practical and comfortable. Fashion, hell no. And I guess that's the difference between fashion and clothing. And that's where 
you get fast fashion and fashion brands that take from high fashion and make it wearable, make it comfortable. And what do you think about fast fashion? When I say high fashion, I mean high street. I come from a generation where fast fashion didn't exist as such. And uh, I've always been you know, inspired by people that, even though they were global brands, but their brands were not fast fashion as such. So for me, fast fashion, I know there is a need because of how society is, you know, and how business works. So there is a need for it. There is a demand for it. But do I support it? I mean, my sons, they buy what they want. You know, they have their own idea, their own opinion, and I respect it. But for me, it's more that you buy staple pieces and they last. And you mm. wear them and you hand them down to your kids, to your daughters, to your nieces. You know, it's yes. Uh, yes. it becomes like a, a heirloom. As you're saying that about the pieces that my mum handed down to me, which were a lot of them, she's from Nigeria, and she had them made in Nigeria, handmade clothing because that's what people did back then and that's what a lot of people still do um but when I was a teenager it was really cool to look different and quirky and that's what I wanted to do so I wore her stuff and it was still such good quality like it 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 was as good as it was when she was wearing it when she was a teenager and that's what it's about for me just making um, or giving my kids those heirlooms, like that circular fashion thing, making sure that stuff can still be recycled and used again. But in order to do that, you can't, well, you can't do that with a three pound t-shirt that's going to start ripping as soon as no. you put it in the washing machine a couple of times. It's just not going to happen. So it's so important that we we remember that. And also, what, um, I just wanted to ask you on that, what are the pieces that you think we should be invested in? What are those classic pieces that will always stay in fashion that we will be able to hand down to our kids and they'll still look as amazing in 20 years as we do now? Oh, everything. I mean, um, coats, you know, if you have a great coat, they can last a lifetime. A dress, an evening dress, even pants. I mean, anything, shoes. Um, And also, you know... Sorry, pants. I don't support... Pants, pants trousers, not pants yes, knickers, just, just to clarify. That's that's from having so many American friends. If you say trousers yeah. in America, they look at you like, oh. <laughs> 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 you know, but because, you know, this is also fast fashion. You need to, we need to think of the impact of fast fashion in our society, how it's enslaving People, whatever we like it or not, for somebody to sell a T-shirt for a couple of quids, we know that down the line somebody in a studio is being um, modern slavery. Somebody in, you know, people forget that the prison system supports a lot of the fashion industry by providing cheap labour. And that's when... Literally, when I was 17 and arrived in London, one of the first things my teacher said to me, if you want to succeed in fashion, you have to get your brand made in a prison. And I thought, what, seriously? Because I had never heard of it. And that's when I started to research the, the prison labor and on how it benefits the brands, global brands, the fashion brands, and how we need to be made aware of this that um you know for certain brands to become global they are doing a lot of wrong to humans let it be in the prison system let it be in studios in china in bangladesh in sri lanka in guatemala in mexico you know these are uh, in pakistan we need to be aware of these things, that when people also buy, mm. you know, um, stonewashed denim, there is most probably a Syrian kid, refugee in Turkey, 
working in terrible, terrible conditions to make you feel great about your stonewashed denims. So it's, you know, this is why I don't support fast fashion. And maybe it's because of my experience as a fashion designer, because I know, you know, some of the things that happened in the background, backstage, where I feel that my brand could never be fast fashion brand. Gosh, we have spoken about um, fast fashion before, but um, never really got in depth in terms of where these things are being made and how they're being made and where they're even coming from. I think most people just know like the common word, okay, sweatshop, coming from a sweatshop, that kind of thing. Mm. But then you don't, there's just so much more um, to it. You so know, much more to it. Even in we need Italy, another episode on that. You know, in Italy, there is... Um, in Italy, there are certain studios, which is, and maybe I'm going to offend a lot of your, you know, listeners who may be Italian and they may listen to my opinion on this, but it's, it's a fact. Yeah, it's been happening for many decades and it's a disgrace on Italy and the fashion industry there. Many brands have their studios in Italy, but who are the workers? They're Chinese illegal immigrants that they bring, that they treat, that they enslave in those factories where they just work maybe 20 hours a day. They live, they work, they sleep, they eat in the factories. There's been cases where people have been injured in those factories and thrown like animals outside the emergencies in hospitals because as they are illegal, people don't want to get caught and they just dump them outside. It's a disgrace on Italy. And, you know, we need to be made very well aware of these things. You know, they are humans behind all of this and no one should be treated like this. The prison labour, Victoria's Secret is made in, in, you know, in factories that are in prisons in the States. That shouldn't be happening. Not that these men don't deserve to have a job, you know, in prisons, but it's the way that it's been done because a lot of these men, a lot of these women should not be in prison for the crimes they've committed, but because they need the prison Mm -hmm. labour, they need to fill the population to be able to supply for AT&T, Victoria's Secret, Boeing is one of them. It's a huge problem. Um, it's it's really, really bad on how, you know, our society is using people. And just because everything has to be fast and made cheaply so they make the most profits as possible. I'd rather make the least profit, but at least I know that when I pay my invoice to my studio, I know the faces who are going to enjoy the money I know their kids, their grandkids. Um, you, you know, it's different. It's humans. You, you, you are paying them according to their skills. To it's, it's a minimum to do, especially with these brands on how much money they are making. But it's hard because we, we are surrounded by all of it, you know. Um, and and, and there is, it's very hard not to buy from fast producing companies it's never enough impossible i mean you look at england now how many independent designers they are they're actually living off this of their craft very it's mm. very tough but then you go down the streets and you've got starbucks you've got zara you've got h&m you've got this you've got that and it's hard to to boycott everybody it's never enough impossible yeah. mm. Definitely. Yeah, I've tried. I've tried. And it is very hard because they tempt you back in that number one, you've got the price tag. Number two, you've got those designs, which are usually ripoffs of high end luxury designs. So you feel you're able to access that fashion. Um, but it comes at a cost. It all comes at a cost. And and just speaking as somebody who has a, a, a brand, a small independent brand, um, that that whole thing about price point, it's so difficult because you try to give, and I think we've talked about this before, Sarita, with, with um, another guest, but you try to give um, the suppliers that you're using 
a fair wage. You want to make sure that people are being treated humanely in the in the factories where the garments are being created. And that that costs money to do that. So obviously that trickles down to the price point of the item that you're creating. But when you are a smaller brand, for some reason, people don't really want to spend that much money. They'll happily go and spend it in a high street shop. But because you're a brand that doesn't have that big name, they're like, well, what are you doing with all that money? Like, you don't need all that money. Like, why should you have that? Like, it's it's just, it's so, it doesn't make sense. It's really difficult for people who want to make a difference to do that. And I think there's lots that has to be done around the messaging, around just saying stuff like you've shared with us, Francesca, about what actually goes into making those items that a massive designer will sell for thousands of pounds. It's it's disgusting. It is slavery. And and there's we, we shouldn't be supporting it. Mm. But it's it's also, you know, certain brands, you know, a lot of designers understand what they end up going for becoming more of a global brand because you know they want to earn a living out of their skills of what they've studied of what they treat you know what they've worked hard for so you you will have investors that will come to you and they will tell you we will give you all this money but this is what you have to do and you have to be yeah. you know i've walked away from a huge investment where I thought I'm not going to take your, I'm not going to take this. I don't care. I'm not going to do this because I knew that with how they were speaking to me, they would have opened, you know, at least one store in each country and a few in different places where I would have had to end up having my staff made in factories overseas where I knew that there would be mm-hmm. issues with the way that I see my brand and I thought you know what I'd rather walk away from this but at least I can look at myself in the mirror and say you know what I'm not participating Mm. to that but I can understand Mm. certain designers who feel that you know it's their luck to have two million pounds invested in them where they think yeah I'm going to do this it's my livelihood I can Mm. change the life of my family with that money because I will become a global mm. brand. I'm going to have stores all over the world. But it's not about being famous. It's about having integrity in life. You know, when I was growing up, I wanted to be famous. I, every brand wants to be famous. Everybody wants to. I mean, and it, somebody who tells me, oh, no, at 17, I didn't want to be famous. Oh, please, don't say that. No, nobody is humble at that age. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only growing up where I realized, you know what? I've reached all of that with my, you know, with my work. I've I've won awards in loads of countries. I've been published in every single continent but the North Pole. I've always said if there was a magazine in the North Pole, I would have been published in it. <laughs> so have I reached my little way of stardom and fame? I did. I really did. Um you know, am I happy about it? Oh, God, I'm thrilled. I mean, I've had some of the most beautiful women wearing my brands, some of the best magazines featuring me. Uh, I've done shows in Japan, in Ireland, in England, in France, in Belgium, in Italy, in Turkey, all over the States. Uh, so I've done it. But the only thing that I haven't done it is become global as a brand you know, being in Selfridges, being in those places. But do I regret it? Hell no, because I've kept my integrity. Women Who Rebrand is available on your favourite podcast platforms, including Acast, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and Overcast. You can find guest information, recommendations and links on our blog, womenwhorebrand.com. What in the world? Thank you. So, Francesca, I don't know if you're as much of a Love Island fan as I am, and maybe fan's not the right word, but anyway, let's move on because that, again, is a different podcast. Love Island's come back, and um, they have decided this year not to use fast fashion, but instead to use eBay to source all of the clothes that they give to the cast members. 
And um, it's a big, big move because, as we know, the um, cast usually come out of Love Island and they get deals with all of these fast fashion brands. So it's not going to be as simple as it once was. But what do you think? Do you believe that the tide is turning against fast fashion? And are we genuinely becoming eco-conscious or is this a little bit of greenwashing? Okay, um, I don't really watch TV. I'm somebody who loves watching documentaries, but um, I've, I've, I've worked with people from Love Island. They're really cool kids. And... Um, <laughs> But I would like, say, give me the names, give me the <laughs> names. <laughs> uh, well, I, I should be featuring one of the kids from Love Island in my magazine. He's a really, lo- he's a really lovely kid, and we should be featuring him in the co- on the, one of the covers of my magazine. And for me, I like him because he, he's a voice. He has a voice. He's a great. I find him that. He is um, a very positive, you know, image and voice for the younger generation in England. Um, I feel that eBay would be greenwashing because if they want to buy from vintage, independent, they could go to maybe smaller stores because eBay is not... (laughs) I mean, eBay is like Amazon, right? It's not small. Mm. <laughs> you know, I would have, I would have maybe done the same thing, which is walk away from fast fashion, but involve maybe young designers that can really bring something really positive on the plate. Uh, work mm-hmm. with maybe vintage brands where you go to places such as. Uh, you know, th- second-hand shops in London. London is great for second-hand clothing and buy it from mm. them directly instead of using a platform such as eBay to provide it to them. So it's great in a way that they're walking away from fast fashion, but it could have been done in an even more positive way by doing it in a, you know, slightly changing the format. Yeah, I mean, they... <laughs> they they may well for the next season hear what you said, Francesca, and be like, "Yeah, that Francesca woman, she had a good a good, a good idea that maybe we should be using." I, I definitely yes. I'm on board with that. But do you use yes. eBay, either of you, at um, all in terms of uh, buying I had fashion? Ex- I had a bad experience no. with eBay about twenty years ago. I tried to buy something that never arrived, Uh-oh. and I thought, "Boo." Oh, gosh. <laughs> but you know this is something that we all you know but i do sometimes buy from amazon and uh it's just because you know sometimes you that's what i mean you know you try to stay away from it but then there are moments where you Mm. you really don't have any choice convenience exactly you get it within 24 Mm. hours and i'm going to be honest with you i am a fan of jeff bezos because to me, oh, controversial! <laughs> I know, oh, right? No, oh my gosh! No, no, no. It's I'm I'm not a fan with you know the way that Amazon is run. That's very different. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of how this man, you know, he had an idea. He got his parents to invest in it because that's where he made he got his money. His investors were his mom and dad. And he turned into a hugely global name that I'm sure he never even thought he would achieve. So for that, as a businessman, I can only applaud and say, you know what, dude, you started with nothing, selling books out of your garage and look at what you've achieved now. But do you have integrity? Not so much. Mm. But I think that's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but that's a lot of companies, you know. I'm a fan of, you know, on how also, you know, the people that have achieved greatly, such as um, in England, um, Mr. Virgin Atlantic, you know, Richard Branson, that he's he started in Portobello Market, going to India, selling clothes. You know, back in the day, you had the, the, the magazines, and at the back of it, you had 
you know, um, yeah. mailing where you could buy clothes mm. by by post and you have yeah. them sent to yeah. you. Wow. And, that, and that's how he started. And when you see how he's created his empire, it's it takes a hell of a lot of guts and a great businessman to achieve that. But do I agree with everything to do with his company? No. Uh, you know, another yeah. one of my inspirations in business, and you're going to laugh, is Pablo Escobar, one of the greatest <laughs> cooking dealers of all time. <laughs> because I look at how they've run their business. They've showed me that to run your business, you have to work hard. Regardless of what you are selling, the key you know, factor for all of them is believe in yourself, <laughs> believe in yourself, and work hard. That's hilarious. But I that's, 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 that's Sicilian mafia coming out. That's, that's what it is. It's those Sicilian roots. You've got to respect the mafia. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? I don't agree with, yeah. with, with, what, with, with how they treat their staff and everything. That I don't agree. But it's inspired me as a business person to say, Do you know what? You have to really work hard. Believe in yourself. Take no shit. Understand that if you get mm. door slammed, I mean, Richard Branson, he did uh, bridal. Oh, my God. His bridal was an absolute disaster. He did beauty. <laughs> I think I he, remember that. He, yeah. did, he did beauty. His beauty products were actually really, really good, but that was a failure in business. He failed. So what he showed me is that mm. you can be Richard Branson, have all the millions in, you know, backing you up, if you will fail in certain things, but it's not really failing, it's failing in regards of money, but you, you learn from it and you move forward. And now he's, he's doing, you know, Virgin Galactic and it's half a million pounds for a ticket to just go up the sky and come back. Half, half a million pounds. So what words of advice would you give to someone who um, would like to get into a career in fashion? Do they need a degree? Do they not need a degree? Should they just go with experience? What say you? Well, if they want to be employed in a company and be corporate, you will need a degree because all these companies will go to the best you know, fashion schools to see who is who and employ you straight there, you know. Um, if you want to be self-employed, you don't need none of that. You just need to learn, fall on your face, brush yourself up, have a good cry, look at yourself in the mirror and say, do you know what, I'm going to do this. Believe in yourself because nobody else will. I know it's something that everybody says, but it's the truth. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. And even if people don't believe in yourself, you just carry on. You have to do what you have to do and make you happy. Um, you know, like for my magazine, for example, in 30 years in the fashion industry, I know so many people. I can count on one hand the people that have known me for all these years that supported me to do issue number one. If not, it was just new, new fresh people. You know, it's because you will always have people that will doubt you, um, envy you, even if they have more, but they don't want you to be like them. Mm. I don't know if I make sense. You know, you they will have yeah, more. Yeah, you know, definitely. They, they will have more money. They will have more success. But if they see you going places, they don't like it because they feel that it's too yeah. much competition. Yeah. But competition is healthy. You have to have competition for you to... And your number one competition is yourself. Like when I do a collection, my next collection, I have to be better, not because of the people, but because of me. I have to create something where I say, you know what, I've evolved. I'm moving forward. So it's take no shit, believe in yourself, self-invest, I've self-invested in every single one of my businesses, which means I may have been saving for 10 years, never go to restaurants, never go on holiday, never go to Nobu, never wear the latest trends, never do this, never do that. But then I decide, do you know what? It's going to cost me £150,000 to do my show at Fashion Week. That's my dream. I did it. I made my dream come true. 
it costed me an arm and a leg. <laughs> but I was with the best producers. I had some of the, you know, the models that I could afford then. A great team. I had my clothes made in Italy and made in London, which I'm very proud of. And I did my London Fashion Week show. But I paid every single thing myself. Because if it didn't work financially after that, I didn't owe anyone money. And I could still look at myself and mm. say, do you know what, girl? You did it. You did it alone. And that's self-made for me. Where you don't... Uh, it's not about the amount of money that's in your bank account. But it's what you've achieved by yourself with just you as your biggest supporter. And even if, mm. and my advice to people is, even if your friends don't believe in you, your family don't believe in you, you've got to keep going. If this is your call, you've got to keep going. And the more you practice your craft, the better you will get at it. I will never tell somebody that comes to me, you have no talent. I'll tell them, work on it. You know, you need to, you know, you need to um, build the craft. You need to learn. You need to make mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, you're not humans. You have to make mistakes to become better. Where can our audience find your magazine, find you online and see you in real life? How, oh, how, how? Well, my magazine, it's actually not available online because I wanted to take it back to how it should be. So my magazine doesn't oh. have any advertisement. Yeah, it doesn't have any advertisement because um, why would I have to read 25 pages of brands that really don't need me to, you know, <laughs> to give them the space? So the magazine is really articles, interviews and editorials for entertainment because a magazine for me has to be educating, educational and entertaining with great visuals. Mm -hmm. And you can buy it in Rococo, in W11, Rococo News Agent, and also in Good News on Berwick Street. So I've been really, really lucky to have two stockists already. That is something that I have to pinch myself. <laughs> oh, the, the magazine is named after my sons, zionzane.com. And uh, I don't support Zionism, just in case people thought. It's just because <laughs> my sons, you know, <laughs> I want to say, um, my sons, well, we have, we have Navajo, you know, heritage through my dad. And Zion Park is a very important place for the Navajo Nation, but also because my sons are Rastafarians from their father's side. And, you know, their grandma and their grandpa are proper Rastafarians. And Zion in, you know, the Rastafarian community, it's a very important name and also very beautiful. Uh, I nearly named the other one Ziggy, but... Um, ah. Yeah. That was already taken by some That's a, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, and uh, I thought, oh, Zane, for, um, but yeah, so it's Zion Zane. And it's a magazine that is open to everyone between the age of 18 to 75. Uh, we don't bear any political colour, but we are kind of very political, where, um, you know, I speak about a lot of, you know, injustice that's been happening in society. And it's all about if you have the talent, I will feature you, and it doesn't matter if you come from a rich background or from the gutter. It's, you know, it's a platform to express great people and great humans. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you thank for you having me. Thank you. Right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 